Greetings, and welcome to Content That Moves, a new podcast that highlights the very best in brand storytelling through feature films, original web series, podcasts, even interactive digital experiences, really anything that showcases a brand's purpose and mission through the first-person narratives of real people. We want to shine a light to uncover the best practices and give you a behind-the-scenes look at all the strategy, creative, and distribution that will help you on your journey to do the same for your brand. Today on the podcast, some big questions and some big answers about the ultimate impact content programs can have on our world. For example, what happens when we smash the boundaries between corporate responsibility programs and profit and loss statements? It's a bold question that foreshadows the discussion to come about how these programs, when truly embedded into a company's DNA, can actually better our world. My guest today, Carlos Abler, is uniquely positioned to talk about this. Not only did he lead content programs for global powerhouse 3M for seven years, but he also sits on a jury that gives awards to technologists who are innovating in ways that support the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. The really exciting thing about all this, he's seeing these worlds converge in really interesting ways. This might be our most philosophical episode to date, so if you love to think about why we do what we do, and how we might add greater meaning to the work we do every day, buckle up and stick around. Well, thanks for being here today. Um, super excited to dig into your ideas about how content marketing can truly, if incre- incrementally, change the world. Um, but first, I wanted to give people a frame of reference about just how many different industries 3M actually mm. touches, and in turn, like how many lives 3M touches. Do you, you want to just set the stage for us there? Yeah, sure. Uh, and maybe I'll start with just a little bit of my, my role in it and then how it bleeds into that organization. So mm. um, so I work in the corporate center, and in terms of the size of the organization, to give the listeners some view, 3M is a very large, complex organization. So um, there are, it changes over time, but there are roughly 25 different business units. The lawyers let us say there are 55,000 finished products, um, but you know, 3M is an alchemy machine. Uh, there are 46, they've added some, so I'm not sure what the number is today, but there were 46 core technologies, applied technologies in the company, wow. of which adhesives and abrasives are two and relate to a lot of what consumers will think about when they think of 3M, such as tape. Yeah. Post-it notes, you know, you've got your adhesives there, but also sandpaper and a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But there's a, a, an incredibly vast array of products. The uh, uh, reflective substances that are in the stripes on the highway, and as well as the you know worker safety suits that the people on the highway are wearing that that are orange and flashy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, 3M makes respirators. 3M. Uh, makes ad- adhesives that can glue windows onto a skyscraper in Dubai that allow sliding uh, vertically uh, but not out on the, the Z-axis so that as the building blows around in the wind, the windows can slide up and down on them without shattering and popping up. I mean, it's just crazy, <laughs> all the stuff that, that, um, that 3M makes. So. Yeah. Um, we sell. We have operations in seventy countries. We sell into about every kind of indus- industrial vertical and subvertical you can think of. Um, they say you're never more than fifteen feet from a 3M product if you live in the industrialized world. Um, and, you know, we're we have electronics. 
chemistry, manufacturing. I mean, it's just there's so many different things. So uh, very complex organization and very complex to form relationships with customers and, Mm. you know, not act out of product silos. And there's a bazillion product silos. So how do you achieve that kind of customer centricity? Anyway, so if you think about these 25 business units, all these different portfolios and operations in 70 countries and selling in 200 markets, it's very complex. And and I, so I sit in the corporate center okay. um, and I'm part of an organization that helps essentially 3M digitize the customer experience and customer experience management and customer relationship management. Um, That tends to hover around what people think of as marketing. Mm -hmm. I divide marketing into, you know, uh, two rough piles. You have the aspect of it that deals with product innovation and getting it to market and pricing and where and how and channels and all that strategy. Sure. Um, but then there's the relationship side of marketing, which is a lot of mm-hmm. times what people think of when they say, well, you know, we use social media in our marketing. We use websites and blogs in our marketing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where I'm more focused is around the customer relationship. And I help the organization transform from the content perspective. Mm-hmm. And so that's content is communication, like advertising and brochures and copy and brand copy and all that. But it's also content as a product in the sense mm-hmm. of something value added. And here's where we get to the helpfulness aspect. Yeah. So, you're, you know, if you are, um, you know, if you have dentists or safety managers or industrial designers and design engineers or first responders, you know, all these different roles that are out there, ho- homemakers, DIY people at home, whatever it is, and you're trying to really add value to their lives. You really want to be relevant as a business. You need to think not just like an advertiser who's going to use content to try to, you know, tell them that, you know, your adhesives or sandpaper or whatever it is you sell is the best thing since sliced bread, even mm-hmm. if it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you do want to say that when it's appropriate. But you also want to understand the person more holistically in terms of what their needs and goals are sure. so that you can identify how to add value by delivering content-driven experiences and applications that do things that reduce friction from their life and help them achieve their goals. This is what's hot nowadays yeah. in marketing and differentiating, and, you know, marketing, sales, customer care, the whole customer relationship life cycle and function. So, <clears throat> so I help the organization get better at doing that mm-hmm. in the sense of what kind of customer engagement programs they want to have over the years and what kind of content they're going to create to add value. And then also in the sense of the technologies that need to stand up those programs as well as the organization and talent and human resources um, that need to stand that up. So I focus on accelerating those areas of excellence in the company uh, wherever the business wants to start moving fast on it. That's that's the role that I play and what I help to enable in that context. Cool. So you mentioned, you know, the content product aspect. Can you talk a little bit about what forms those products tend to take? And, and maybe even using the example, I was able to spend some time with State of Science, which mm-hmm. I think is cool. It's mul- so multifaceted. But yeah, if you could speak just how, how you how those products take shape. Sure. Yeah, I'll talk about a couple of examples. So, um, and a, and a, uh, so you, you mentioned the State of Science Index. So that's a real fascinating one. Um, that is a content. So if we, uh, I'll use product language here because mm-hmm. that's really how we need to think about uh, about content products. Just like you know, the New York Times or The Economist yeah. or Discovery Communications, right? They create products that people buy or would buy or steal or share or, mm-hmm. you know, give up an email for, right? Yep. Whatever. They're valuable things that deliver value, right? So different types of content products play very different roles in people's lives. 
uh, news-related things help people understand, you know, stay up to date on what's happening, give them points of view, hopefully give them some agency, mm-hmm. you know, in what's happening, whether it's, you know, in society at large, politics, or within people's industries, like in medical professions or whatever it is, right? Um, so, but there's a lot of other types Um, like things that, for example, could be training to help you be a better sound engineer, for example. You know, people Mm -hmm. might be selling, like right now we're in a podcast, you know, doing a podcast, we're in a sound studio, there's all this technology around. Mm -hmm. People selling this technology want our, you know, sound engineer to be the best and most successful sound engineer that he or she can be. Uh, And and so how do they, you know, give stuff that, that does that, right? Right. It could be apps. Um, it could be, you know, all, all sorts of different things. So something like like the State of Science Index, I think, is something that delivers value at a societal level. So mm-hmm. to some degree, it's kind of a big thought leadership piece, and yep. it helps to intervene in our culture at scale, which is really a very profound kind of thing. It's, 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 it's a bit less utilitarian, let's say, than another thing that we have is essentially a professional online magazine for Uh, worker safety managers. So these are people who, for example, making sure that people on construction sites and Mm -hmm. roadside sites not only have the safety equipment they need to make sure they don't die or injure themselves and, and so on, um, and also need to make sure that they're maintaining compliance, you know, that people are actually using these things. So there's a lot of opportunity to help there in terms of educating and whatever and getting the people to actually use the stuff and use it properly. But they also need to keep up with safety regulations. And, and that's very hard because these things aren't always published by the government in, in, in a way that um, is perfectly and easily tailored for <laughs> no. a person in a very specific industrial vertical to know what really matters for them and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so, you, you know, for those kind of folks, you may not be trying to as much transform society's perception about things. Well, maybe you are. Maybe we should understand that, okay, when we're going to rock concerts and working in loud bars, we should actually have earplugs and things like that to keep us from going deaf. Right? So, so sure, we do want that kind of general awareness. I don't mean to say that personal safety isn't also a societal thing. Um, But definitely, if you're creating stuff that's really targeted for safety managers, you know, that magazine, that that blog, that publication is a very valuable property. If you give them, uh, for example, tools that help them better communicate to gain compliance for their staff, that's another kind of format. The state, so that's something that you know companies like 3M and all sorts of folks have tremendous opportunity to do these things. State of Science Index is really beautiful and sublime. Um, I love it. They, the way this works, and it was uh, led by a, a really brilliant guy named Robert Britton um, um, at 3M. Um, in partnership with uh, Jay Shri Seth, who's our our chief. I'm forgetting her exact title, but it's basically you know the goddess of science, and you know for you know she's she's our our chief evangelist for science in the company. And cool. 3M's it, it is it does have science in its brand identity. It's 3M Science Applied to Life. Mm-hmm. And there's historically for 120 years or however long 3M's been going now, I've lost count, um, a, a, a huge investment in the sciences in the community. It's one of the things I really love about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Science Museum of Minnesota, uh, 3M is a Minnesota company originally. Mm-hmm. Um, the Science Museum of Minnesota has is about the same age, and they've been sponsoring them since the beginning. Mm-hmm. They put a lot of money and resources and efforts and partnerships and internships and all sorts of things, you know, to really help strengthen science and society. So the goal of the State of Science Index was to identify 
what are general societal perceptions of science? And they did it across, I think it was 14, 12 or 14 countries. Mm-hmm. I, I believe it was 1,000 people in each country. You have to double check that, but it, but yeah. that's close to it, mm-hmm. if not it. And, um, and there are all sorts of questions on there like, you know, if they think science is important, do people understand the connection between science and their everyday life, that it even has one, let alone what that is? Sure. Do they think that um, uh, science is an important career for their kids? And then looking at some of those uh, uh, differences, you know, by country and different things are, are yield incredibly fascinating data. And from what they're, what I've heard and I understand is that no one has done this kind of global analysis at this scale and at that level. Mm-hmm. And I believe they're going to keep it going, and I really hope so, because it is so insightful and so incredible and definitely yeah. on brand for a company like 3M focused on science to support discourse and around such a thing. And, and today, <clears throat> very famously, we have a lot of issues around trust and truth and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. So I think we've never needed you know, life is a lot more than what science can give us. But science is one of the most important human creations uh, when it comes to truth and getting stuff done in a beautiful way and creating a more prosperous world. So I'm very proud uh, of 3M's work in, in this area. Yeah, I think it's the perfect time for something like this to come along. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to what you were saying before and getting to your idea about how content marketing can actually change the world you were talking mm-hmm. about, like for a sound engineer, for example, how can you help them be the best sound engineer they can be? And you take that approach, it sounds like, through every industry that you touch. Um, I, you referenced a, a quote that was really interesting. I think it was the head of content at Visa, um, Stephanie Lissy says, the potential for content marketing to transform business goes far beyond acting like a media company. It's about realizing that our assumptions about what marketing can achieve may be wrong. Can you maybe uh, unpack that a little bit and talk about how you view how content marketing can ultimately change the world? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, I know that that quote was uh, in a book by, uh, by Joe Polizzi and, and Robert Rose. Um, focus called Killing Marketing, mm-hmm. um, which focuses on how content and, you know, marketing in the marketing and customer relationship context can actually be a profit center in a company. Mm-hmm. And that, that correlates to that whole content as product thing. Right. In other words, what you, so if you look at one of the, the, the folks who founded the Content Marketing Institute have been helping drive a lot of discourse in education over the last 10 years. And, and one of the early case studies that they amplified a lot was uh, Kraft Foods, um, mm-hmm. which at the time had something like 20 million subscribers across all their different properties, the magazine mm-hmm. and, and online and newsletters and all this kind of stuff. And they actually sell it. You know, it's it's really a piece of marketing collateral, mm-hmm. uh, but people buy it, so it's actually a profit center. Sure. And 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 what we see as people start to add more value into their marketing programs and assets, um, that they it, you start to get into business model innovation. Because now you're going from content as communication to content as product, and all of a sudden you're generating all this value, whether that's the value of your subscriber database, both in the sense of all the the people you can have ongoing relationships with, which may be opted in and GDPR regulation friendly and all this kind of stuff, but also the, the insights that you get from the data of what they interact with whether on a known or an anonymous basis, are all all very valuable. Anyway, so there's a center of gravity to talking about this that has to do with the business value of content products as a correlate, cause and correlate, an emergence. 
of the value that those things are creating for people. Now, when it comes to saving the world, this is and transforming the world. This is where we start to get into what is the value proposition that that content is delivering. Mm -hmm. Now, this is, delivering valuable content is hard. It's necessary. The big thing nowadays is, well, the Internet is the new location, location, location of the 21st century. Everybody is getting their information online for the most part and in vast proportion. So if you aren't there answering people's questions and delivering the help that they need, your competitors will be. And your competitors could be somebody's grandma because the Internet is much more, at least today, of a more or less democratized mm -hmm. you know, kind of format and anybody can jump in with their opinion. Yeah. So you need to be out there and achieving content excellence and publishing that stuff and getting it out and all that kind of thing. Now, so for years, people have been talking about, well, businesses, you know, that are manufacturers, businesses that are, you know, in healthcare or whatever it is, need to become publishing companies. And this is true. We need to adopt those operational methods and we need to become masters of these content formats, which is what they do. But that's not good enough mm -hmm. because what we're finding is that people actually, even though it's hard to produce content and hard to be efficient with it, they're hemorrhaging content. Okay, there's so much content out there that's getting ignored, yep. that doesn't get used, uh, because there's a lot of crap. And it's either bad content, or maybe it's good content, but it's not getting distributed to people properly. It's right. not there when they need it, and on and on and on. But there's a really core thing in here in terms of what's the value proposition. How do you look at a sound engineer, a dentist, a, 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 a homemaker, you know, nourishing their family? How are you looking at all these different roles in society and, and, and these individuals and the different subcategories of them and all their subcontexts and say, what is it these people really need? And how am I going to get it to them? What keeps them up at night? How am I going to help? How am I going to help them sleep? What is in their way, how am I going to get that thing out of their way, right? So needs, goals, aspirations, and all that kind of stuff, and become instrumental in it. And that's not a publishing skill. That's an innovation skill. Mm. That's about design thinking. That's about all these things that have to do with being an innovator, an entrepreneur, a startup. See where mm. I'm going here? Yeah. So here's where we get into social innovation and entrepreneurship. Now, the reason I say social innovation and entrepreneurship is these things tend to deal with societal issues. Right. You either are using business methodologies to solve societal problems, or which is very commonly what they're doing. Or if you flip that, and here's where I think content marketing is going and needs to go, you use the methodologies of social transformation and human empowerment as a business methodology. Mm -hmm. So, and I can give you an example. Yeah. And I'll give you two quick examples. One yeah. of them coming at it from the side of business, one of it coming at it from the side of saving the world, and you'll see how they ultimately become one thing. Yeah. So starting from the business, a very another very famous case study that was talked a, a lot about in the content marketing world um, was uh, MX Open. So MX Open is from American Express, mm. and they created this basically a blog and forum, a knowledge base and community, uh, where they were publishing upwards of 30 to 45 articles a day for a while. I don't know if they still are, but they were really going for a critical mass and, yeah. uh, at one point and really building this thing up fast. And what it was is all this information to help small business owners be better small business owners. So that could be how do you manage your staff, tips on taxes and, and you know, being a better leader or office technology, you know, all this different stuff that uh, how do you market your business and on and on and on, right? So uh, Amex has a 
uh, a small business credit division, mm-hmm. and I believe it was called, and this resource, which is given away free of charge, and they don't advertise or sell any products on this resource, mm. which they gave away for free, was their number one source of lead generation for business. So by giving something away, it was an oblique strategy that actually drove more leads Mm -hmm. than any uh, overt advertising that they were paying for. So this, and there's a lot more value we could speak to in terms of data value and all that kind of stuff. But if you think about what's happening here, they are empowering people to be more financially and economically successful. And here's where we get to things that ladder up to the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. Mm. The UN SDGs have 17 of these goals, and they involve ending poverty, they involve you know, uh, hunger, uh, the oceans, all this uh, human and environmental sustainable related topics. Sure. So that program ladders up to the sustainability development goals in the decent work and human economic empowerment category, right? So they're wandering sideways into human sustainability. Yeah. Another example now coming at it from the other side. So there was this technology in uh, uh, Bangladesh called Apanjan. Um, What this is is a text message-based information service for young women who are either pregnant or up to the second year of age for their child, so depending on where they're at. And this information service is keyed into that time period of their life cycle. So it starts with their last, the time of their last period, let's say if they're into their third month or whatever it is, wherever they are, Mm -hmm. the information syncs up with that time period. And they would get multiple messages per week Mm. related to help them take precautionary measures to ensure that they don't do things that jeopardize their health or that of their baby. Sure. Um, To identify early warning signs, live more healthfully, and all this kind of stuff. The goal um, was to reduce infant and maternal mortality, which is extraordinarily Mm. high in India. Mm. So... Um, And this was part of the, before the UN had the sustainability development goals, they used to be called the Millennium Development Goals. And reducing infant and maternal mortality was one of those goals. It's still, all those things still roll into the current sustainability development goals, either explicitly or implicitly. But anyway, so at the time, they were like, okay, we're going after this number, we want to reduce this number. So they created this information service. And they delivered it at an extremely low cost, but free to the super poor. Mm -hmm. And so it was to be barrier free. Um, So if you can't afford it, you get it for free. But if you can't afford something, please give something. Mm -hmm. But it was still very low cost. Now, it's important for these kinds of things to not depend on charity. You really want your... your NGO and social entrepreneur, social innovation, kind of social value and impact programs to actually find a business model so that they can self-sustain. Because if you depend on donations, you're very vulnerable to collapse. So plus when you make things businesses, you tend to hire more competent business people rather than people bringing their emotional hobbies into nonprofits and destroying them, right? So there's a little bit of an an immune system that they can develop to that unfortunate social phenomenon that happens, that that plagues nonprofits. But anyway, um, so so, um, within a year and a half, this program got 600,000 women subscribed to it, wow. just getting started in Bangladesh. Wow, just so, in Bangladesh alone. Just in Bangladesh alone. So think about that. If you have you know, that many people, nearly a million p- people in a year and a half subscribed into this thing, 
Um, what would happen if you scaled that across India, Latin America, and Africa? Wow. And what would happen if you were a healthcare company who wanted to, you know, increase awareness about things like, let's say, respiratory health in these polluted places and mm-hmm. why maybe respirators aren't a bad thing for you to have? And let's say you sell respirators or whatever. So, um, so personal safety and healthcare related organizations would have a, a good natural affinity to adopting this kind of product and scaling it across their geographies. So as especially if you're a global company and trying to uh, get influence and relationships and marketing and, and, and emerge in these developing markets, this is one of the best ways you could do it because theoretically, if you scaled this, in a few years, you could potentially have a billion women opted into a GDPR-friendly database with super data and insight rich data mm-hmm. and so you, you can be saving lives while at the same time marketing your products. Now of course there's a lot of ethics to manage in there. Sure. Like you should probably be selling health related products and not like you know sugar and yeah. other things or whatever because you know affinity is affinity right. Uh, but anyway so that's an example where we where a social innovation thing can become not only profitable, mm-hmm. uh, but can be used as a, a business methodology. You know, and I wrote an article, you know, called Can Marketing Save the World? Yeah. And of course, and legitimately, it brought up just massive skepticism and, sure. you know, whatever. And I'm a former radical politics guy. In fact, no, I'm a current radical politics uh-huh. guy, but also in business. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't lost that. And I understand, yeah. you know, the skepticism about companies actually doing good in the world. And is it really just whitewashing over evil mm-hmm. or can they actually be good? But this is why I believe this is why I can be in business at this scale, because I know that the future of good customer relations is social innovation at scale in ways that drive business results. So this is about smashing the boundaries between corporate social responsibility and the P&Ls. This is about making corporate social responsibility not just something you do to, you know, get get a little edge, you know, on Wall Street because sustainable companies show a point zero whatever improvement on ones that aren't or, you know, any of that kind of stuff or whitewashing. This is about actually transforming the world and taking marketing budgets and saving lives and making the world a better place while doing it and earning that business. It's about becoming truly ethical. And not only do I think this is inevitable, th- that this is desirable, I think it's inevitable because as we start to look at all of these you know, content marketing programs and how they wander sideways into social innovation. It's just inevitable that these things converge. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I have such a, one of the reasons why I have such a strong view on this and a clear view on it is because in addition to the work I do uh, with content marketing with businesses and and transforming business, um, I work with a UN organization that gives awards and support to people who use technologies mm-hmm. in ways that serve the UN Sustainability Development Goals. So I'm, sure. a, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a board member and judge, uh, advisory board member and judge and mentor uh, with the World Summit on the Information Society, which is a UN NGO based out of uh, um, Austria. Yeah. Um, and we have, uh, you know, programs all over the world um, and events and all that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like the Olympics you know, kind of like there's the Webbies and Cannes sure. Lions Awards and all this. This is essentially, the WSA is essentially the Olympics of people who are using um, content and content-driven applications in ways that, that change the world all over. So every wow. year, I, as a judge, I review somewhere between 60 and 100 plus uh, different solutions from all over the world. And my, my takeaway, sort of concluding 
insight nugget here is that the best approaches to value-added content marketing that I see aren't being often are not being done by businesses. They're being done by social innovation and entrepreneur startups. They're done by university groups as an experiment. They're done by NGOs. They're done by nonprofits. So our goal, whoever we are, my goal, mm -hmm. and whoever is part of this, and I know there's lots out there, are all about making these things converge as fast as possible. That's so exciting. And, and just with the case study you had given, what happened in Bangladesh, I mean, it's so it's not hard at all to imagine how that could be that I, those ideas could be used in any industry. Like you give a healthcare example, but human betterment happens in so many different facets. So mm -hmm. it's not hard to look for a brand to look at themselves and go like, all right, well, where, what are we providing? And then what fits with our core purpose that we could provide, you know, some sort of value or solution like that. So yeah. that's an exciting time. And so cool that you have that perspective that you bring from that UN program and you can see how things are starting to converge. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, well, I, I know we don't have a, a lot of time here, but if, if there's anything else <clears throat> that you would offer um, to other content marketing teams who are maybe just getting going, there's a lot of these programs that are in their infancy or they started and they're realizing we need to change direction. Any parting advice for, for those folks? Yeah, I guess, I guess I'll just kind of stay on theme here. You know, there's a lot of really great resources to reach out to you know, and, and learn from in the world of content marketing. You know, there's the Content Marketing Institute's a great clearinghouse for this, you know. Uh, you know, great marketing thinkers out there like Jay Bear and Rand Fishkin and, you know, uh, Robert Rose and Carla Johnson and all, all these, there's all these really great folks in the, and Michael Brenner and Pam Dinner. I mean, there's Ardeth Albee. I mean, there's so many great people in these communities who, who are just wonderful and very helpful to go reach out to. But I would also say listen to uh, podcasts and anything where you can educate about being startups, Le really learn what it is because a big, huge you know, aspect of startup cultures and all that kind of stuff is really nailing how you nail the value of your product and, and how you arrive at MVPs, how you figure out who your perfect customer is, the one who would just be so fanatical about it. Mm -hmm. If you can't get to visualizing that person, you might not have something worth anybody getting fanatical about. Mm -hmm. And yet so many products start out as something that niche people were fanatical about, and right. then it grew and evolved into something, right? There's so many things like that that you learn really from the startup and the innovation community. So I would really spend some time you know, uh, uh, on the kind of VC and startup discourse side of things, because you learn a lot from that, that then you can apply uh, back to uh, content. And then I guess the one other thing I would say is research a lot about what social innovation and entrepreneurship is. So for example, Stanford has a massive program and a publication related to social innovation. Uh, so if you just like, you know, go and search Stanford plus social innovation, you're going to find it right away. That's a really great kind of resource for sort of getting your head around that. And I would also look at the World Summit on the Information Society, the WSA. Um, that's an organization that has a big repository of winning examples of content and content-driven applications, an archive that goes back years. So if you want to do stuff in healthcare or stuff in, you know, sort of civic engagement around politics or whatever it is and whatever kind of adjacencies there might be in those categories to your business situation, um, that's a really great place to go through and just start looking at inspiring examples of different things. So that's my thoughts on that. Beautiful. Uh the potential is huge, so we have a lot of a lot of great resources to check out. We'll be sure to provide those. Thanks again for sharing your insights. Hey, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. Cheers.
to experience the state of science from 3M, visit 3M.com slash 3M slash EN underscore US slash state dash of dash science dash index dash survey. Since the recording of this podcast, Carlos has transitioned from 3M to full-time consulting. You can connect with him on LinkedIn by searching Carlos Abler. That's A-B-L-E-R. On our next episode, I chat with content leader from Global Investment Bank Morgan Stanley, Bill Horn, about what marketers and communication specialists can learn from journalists when it comes to creating great content. Until then, be well, have fun, and tell great stories. And when you do, tell us about it. We'd love to feature your work. Just send a note to jesse at credononfiction.com. We hope to hear from you.